Hello and welcome to another edition of the Formula One Fans UK podcast. I'm Reese, and I'm joined today by... Just Dan, apparently. Just, just, just the two of us. We can make it if we try. Yep. Yeah, I'm not sure singing Will Smith. Did Will Smith do that? I'm not sure. He's... No, he's, that wasn't Will Smith. No, that was he not did. Will Smith. I swear, I swear Will Smith did the two of us. Coming, coming from a DJ, this, I think it was there. <laughs> Maybe no, just, a, just, just the two of us was Marvin Gaye. Coming from a DJ, you should know that. We'll agree to disagree because there's only two of us and I don't have anyone to back me up. Well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's just say that it was definitely Marvin Gaye. And um, <laughs> move on. Um, oh, dear. We are coming to you right after the race, um, shortly after the news of Fernando Alonso getting demoted off of what would have been a 100th career podium. Um, Sergio Perez, of course, leading a 1-2 for Red Bull, which leads me to my first question. Dan, how glad are you that there might be an inkling of letting them race going on at Red Bull this year? given that it looks like a one-team title fight. Mate, I'm totally, like, ecstatic that they did not make him move because I thought, oh, like, you know, he's already won a, won a race. Have they already checked out, like, this early in the season on the second race of, like, right, it's Max's again. But, no, they said, let him race, uh, and we'll just see what happens. Yeah, I was glad for that, too. I think it was almost a bit, <laughs> a bit sus at one point when... Uh, when Checo was told do thirty threes, and he was he asked what's Max doing with thirteen laps to go, and the fighting getting, they said oh yeah, Max is doing thirty two point six. It's like, well okay, I'm going to do that then as well. He was like, I'm not messing about here. This is my win. I'm not going to have anyone mess this up for me. Yeah, I was a little bit confused when they uh, told him to do that because I was like, you know. Are they kind of set in station and be like, right, this is just what it is. We're not going to wreck the cars, blah, blah, blah. But, um, yeah, but fair, fair play to him that he's, you know, he stood up for himself. He's like, well, if that's what Max is doing, then I'm definitely going to do the same. Well, if we're going to be in a one-team title fight, it, it has to be that way. You've got to let them race. And if they want to push your fastest laps at the end, you can't. Can't go telling them off. Yeah, you can tell them it's not your concern as the team because as a team, you've already got the maximum number of points. But the drivers are going to want the bragging rights of being number one in the championship, even this early stage. Yeah, exactly. Um, they just need to work on maybe getting some poles and uh, stop uh, stop Alonso being up there because man is on a mission. Well, I mean, he's two poles from two for... For Aston Martin, uh, sorry, two poles from two for Red Bull this season. Um, there's a bit of a surprise to see Alonso get the jump at the start, but then again, he might have had some help from not positioning his car correctly in the first place. It's the second well, race in a row we've had a driver do this. Exactly. You know, you, you'd think after the 16 plus years that he's been doing this, that you're telling me you can't put your F1 car into the same position box you've been getting into for god knows how many bloody years it's really it's just ridiculous it, for an experienced driver and Ocon too is an experienced driver and this happened to him last week you really feel this is not a mistake they should be making it should be 
so much easier than you know it should be one of the easiest things to do you, you've been doing it since you started doing standing starts you you drive you stop in a position on the grid i mean it's probably got a little bit harder to see the front like see the markers and everything the way you got to stop with these wheel arches and everything but i mean they've extended the painted lines and things like that you should be able to avoid this and then also the second time this penalty has been given this season and the second time it's not been served correctly with a man with the rear jack he's tried to get it in position he's nudged the car it's a slam dunk penalty and so alonso yeah rightly demoted for for not serving that penalty correctly right but should it be a constructor penalty or should it be a driver penalty well it's on the driver you know yeah but the right, driver right, got right, the penalty right, in the first stopped. place yeah, right, but he stopped and he's waited five seconds before they touched the car. Like, but his know, team he hasn't. hasn't driven up. Yeah, exactly. But it just, like, is this going to be a consistent thing that keeps happening on where the, like, the pit crew are making stupid mistakes that are going to affect? Because, all right, let's be honest, if this was Perez and that had ruined him winning the race, like, would that be fair when he actually has served his penalty correctly to his knowledge and the, t- and the, and the team have messed it up? Well, the thing is, it is in the driver's best interest to serve the penalty as quickly as possible. Like, you think it's going to be a five-second penalty, but there's a little gap between the clock hitting five and the, fir- and the jacks lifting the car up. And so this has happened because someone's trying to do something in the driver best interest so i think it is right for the driver to to be the recipient of the penalty because at the end of the day it, whilst it's a team sport you're benefiting the driver by jumping the gun there whilst i didn't exactly do it in the same way alpine did it where alpine just started too fast aston martin nudged the car by accident and yeah that's that's all it takes also what, who's watching that close though who is watching that close that they saw oh, you can see it live it. you can yeah, see it live it's, 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 I mean, but he didn't really going, like bang it like, proper. yeah but you touch the car you're not allowed to touch the car until the penalty has been served and i mean it obviously it went straight in under and nudged the car <laughs> it was like and you could see you could always see like there was a little knee-jerk reaction from the rear jackman he knew straight away that i think he knew that he fucked up um but more to the point if it was so obvious watching live for all of us armchair casual viewers or self-proclaimed experts whatever you want to call yourself as an f1 fan we all saw it how does it take the stewards an hour to action it and and dish out a penalty in a situation where you know it was obvious it happened and it wasn't like they were busy with loads of other stuff. There was, what, two black and white flags were weaving. And then there were two incidents with cars breaking down and running slow on track. It wasn't exactly like they were distracted by other things. Just go for it. Because if you had said, when it happened, Alonso, under investigation for not serving penalty correctly, like they did to Ocon, he could have gone, OK, Alonso needs to pull out 10 seconds. And he probably would have gone gung-ho. Russell would have gone gung-ho as well. It would have been really great to see these two guys from what they were doing at the end when they both thought, oh, 
oh, there might be a penalty. Imagine if they tried doing that 20 laps earlier. Alonso trying to build 10 seconds. Russell trying to call it back in. It would have given the race a little something extra, which, again, this race needed. I'll be completely honest. I actually missed the um, the reaction from the Jackman. That's why I was like, you know, like who was looking that closely to it? Um, I actually didn't see that. But yeah, but go back to what you said about if they could have dealt with it quicker, that would have brought some more intense racing into the race because, like you said, you know, they'd have both been having to push because of the because of the penalty. Um, and they didn't really have a lot to do. And what they did have to do, I think they messed that up as well because there was no way that was a safety car. I'm sorry, you cannot get closer to someone giving it a little push behind and it being as safe as possible than that. It, that is not a safety car. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, at first I was like, oh, he's pulled over. Where's he pulled over? Couldn't see where he's pulled over. And they show you this big overhead shot. I'm like, you're going to have to be deliberately trying to drive into Lance Stroll's stricken car there to be able to hit it. Man was Lance halfway Stroll... to the pits, mate. Like, that, that's how safe he was. <laughs> he was he was parked way off the track on the outside on a part of the corner where, it, like I say, if you're going to go off there, you, you've done something horrendously wrong or you've had a failure. It was completely out of the way, you know? It was... I, I couldn't believe... I, I can't believe what I'm watching sometimes with these stewards. You, you, these, this is the pinnacle of motorsport, and you've got people in there who can't look at a camera. Yeah, but I'm not being funny, right? In that steward office, ha- you, you must have every single camera that we have. So that's 20-plus on Sky, and plus all of the other feeds as well, and probably ones that we don't have for technical reasons. Security. Security cameras, probably. Are you trying to tell me you can't, you, you, you know, you can't identify where this car is to the fact that you've got to put out a safety max car? <laughs> well, I saw it called, I saw it called a, a max for safety car. <laughs> That's the one I was going for. Oh, it was... I mean, it really did benefit Max, but it also it benefited the Mercedes. It benefited um, Sainz, who hadn't pitted as well. The only person it didn't benefit was Charles Leclerc, because for the second race in a row, his engineers have failed to tell him something quick enough. He was told, push between the safety car lines, you're not timed, which he should have done. He would have been fully within his right to do, but they told him too late. It's like... uh, Honestly, I feel like Ferrari want to need to sack off the race engineers because they seem to be useless and so bad at conveying the messages in time. And this has been going on back to the Raikkonen days. Again, they have so much data and so much uh, information at their disposal that why isn't it instant? It should be within seconds at best. Yeah, it's safety cars out. It's It's going to be marginal to Hamilton when he pits. So push here. That safety car was out for a whole lap before anyone even came in, really. I mean, well, more than that, well, less than that. I think it came out came out when Perez was going through turn 13. This is a long track, 23, 24 corners. So they're halfway around the lap at safety car speeds. You know what I mean? You didn't have enough time to, to action that. I mean, Ferrari are just... I mean, when you're a science fan, you're dealing with the number two position anyway. But to deal with a team that is such a shambles. And I was confident when Vassell was announced team principal that this would probably 
prodding fix itself, but it, it's it's not. It's it's far from it. It seems that all you see in the week these like in the weeks between the races is the complete disarray going on in the background of Ferrari. Exactly. I don't think he's been the the hand to steady the ship as much as everyone thought he was going at the beginning. I think it's you know they did say or he did say I think in an interview that you know he's he's taken it slow. He's trying to understand the structure and people's actual jobs instead of coming in and be like, right, you're gone, get out. Um, but these engineers are a joke, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. So, so, so some of these en- engineers have been for, um, you know, they've been with Ferrari for ten plus years. Like, I think they just need to stick up for themselves and be like, right, this, this, this isn't what whatever you're doing is not working. Let's, let's, you know, we need to change it because we're basically the laughing stock of F1. Every other week, there's a problem. Unless you're Ocon, uh, it's basically Mercedes, uh, uh, Ferrari just making mistakes all the time. It's ridiculous. Big confused what's got to do with Ocon, but because he's French <laughs> and he keeps um, making so silly decisions. Yeah, that's true. I mean, he did make a lot of. Bam- he, he had a good race today, Ocon. I was going to say right now, Ocon had a good race today. It was quiet, but you know what? When you have a disaster that Ocon had last week or two weeks ago, to have the race that he had today, I think is the perfect remedy to that, and he can look to push on in Australia. He's basically just used up all his mistakes in the first race, the same as um, that they uh, a lot of these teams keep ending up using like power units and like mm. what else? I'm I'm, I'm what? sorry. Taking penalties on the second race? Are you are you joking me? Well, this is the thing. Ferrari had a problem with Leclerc's car in between practice and qualifying, and they had, then had to change it for the race. And the same part failed in the race, and that part was deemed non-recoverable on both of Leclerc's power units or both Leclerc's control electronics. So they had to take the third one. With signs, they changed it as a precaution because. Whilst Leclerc's are broken, they might be able to fix whatever it is on Science's first one to be able to use that again later in the season. And the thing with the control electronics, it's meant to last half the season. So they have, not, in not theory, got a, yeah, exactly. So in theory, they have got a long time to figure out what went wrong and fix it within reason. You know, it can't be Ferrari would have come back to you sort of attitude because that's that's pretty much what's going on all the time. It's, it's it's just I mean I I can't I honestly wouldn't be surprised uh, there's so much pride in being a Ferrari driver but I feel like Leclerc's gonna need to leave Ferrari if he ever wants to win a world title I think he's gonna have to leave Ferrari if he ever wants just a winning strategy because like you know it's get it's wait well, it's not getting it is bad at Ferrari at the moment I realistically like unless there's a big change a big shakeup like something dramatic happens other than a new team principal, because that didn't work. Um, but was jury's out on that? I don't know, mate. The jury's pretty much in, and they're not happy. <laughs> that's because the jury's Italian, and they go, oh, you've put a French person in charge. Oh, that's the not jury are work. half cut, yeah. They're on some but, red wine. It's... I mean, how can you possibly expect to compete with the likes of Red Bull, Mercedes, Aston Martin... I mean, Aston Martin got played a bit by Ferrari today, bringing in Stroll. Long term, it didn't really matter because Stroll was tired anyway. But 
you can't, as a driver, be expected, oh, I'm going to be able to compete with these other teams at the front if you're having to manage your own strategy. If the times where you do need the information, your team can't give it to you in time. And they're going, yeah, sorry about that. Sorry is not good enough. This is the pinnacle of motorsport. Mate, literally that. It's just like you're literally meant to be the best of the best. And I've got a a five-year-old that can make a decision quicker than a Ferrari engineer or strategist. <laughs> it's it's absolutely shambolic. I mean, the two to use the analogy, like to use a football analogy, as we often do in this podcast, it's a bit like Howard Webb coming to coming to you and apologising after a referee made the wrong decision in the Premier League. You don't care for the apology. You don't care. You want your penalty back. You want your goal back. You want your three points. You want your win. You you don't want to be doing. Yeah, thanks, Howard. Now that makes everything all right now. Yeah, I lost and it's all your guys fault. But, you know, and that, that's what Leclerc's having to deal with right now. It's a case of, oh, yeah, I didn't win. I wasn't competitive. And it's all your fault, not mine. Mate, to be fair, speaking of goals, uh, there's there's six I would like back actually. Uh, if it's up for discussion, uh, maybe we could like you know start a GoFundMe page and see if we can get that overturned because that was shambolic as well. And and let's just give a shout out for the shambolic coming back in the podcast as well. That's top notch. Well, I mean, Walsh was doing the football analogies, and as you're a Man United fan, Dan, I feel like we should. Um... Uh, I about... feel like we don't need to go anywhere near. Uh... No, no, it's all good. I'm going to be polite. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say anything here whilst I drink my seven up. I'm going <laughs> to. He's sticking his middle finger up at me on the screen. Uh... <laughs> what I'm going to say, Dan, is McLaren say they started in a brilliant position with Oscar Piastri getting into the top ten. Of course, Lando had an absolute nightmare in qualifying, but the having to pit and replace front two front wings in two laps, that is the equivalent of doing what Fulham did today and getting three red cards in 40 seconds. You're ruining your own race because you can't keep yourself out of trouble at the very start. That is, that's a very good analogy, and I'm happy for it to be not Manchester United related. Um, but in regards to that first, uh, wing incident with Piastri. I'm I'm sorry. He did everything in his power to stay out of a collision on that first lap. And mm. you know, I'm not being funny. Where was he expected to go? It's either it's either it it's another move where it's stop and lose places or crash. Sadly. Well, we had this with Perez and Leclerc last season. Same position sort of uh, of the track exact same corner and you think what what is going to happen yeah granted backing out you're going to lose a place or two but you lose a lot more places by damaging your front wing he could have backed out dropped down to 12 and the pace in that mclaren was not bad today once again this midfield is so tight that if he dropped back to 12 the odds are he could have probably crawled back up and got a point i mean that mclaren in my opinion is faster than the Haas is faster than the Alfa uh, Tauri, is faster than the Alfa Romeo. They only had to beat those teams. I mean, it's Williams as well, down there as well. Yeah, but they're faster than those four teams. So with a DNF or two, 
you really should be able to claim points. And that's where Magnuson in the Haas today did brilliant with that. He, he got the points, but a little bit of common sense of just hanging back. McLaren could have easily had double points today, I feel. Oh, 100%. But also, I feel, because he's obviously, like, he's obviously not a rookie, but, like, he's a new F1 driver, first year in, two two races in. Um, Like, do you want to bitch out that early and know, and know that you could be forced out of places? Like, I, I know it's a bad strategy, but in, in essence, do you want to be a pushover to two races into your professional F1 career. I don't think you're being a pushover. I feel like you're being sensible. I feel like you're knowing, oh, I'm going to have a crash here. Backing out, you're going to show a level of maturity that's that's wise beyond your years. I think if you saw Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Sergio Perez in that position, they would have just eased off the throttle a little bit just to let the, let the Alpine slip in front and then been right on its bumper or rear wing even. I'm not. I'm not saying that you're wrong, um, but I just feel that like that he that he did enough to not cause a collision. I also think that like that he that he that he doesn't need to be bitching out. But but that's just me. I'm I I like the the driver that can be a bit aggressive, but not Max Verstappen type driving. But I I did like on 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 the replay, I was like he has he you know he has tried to get out of it. Yeah, I guess. I mean, the thing is with the rookies this year, you've got two that are pretty fresh face, and you've got Nick DeVries, who is a Formula E champion, has raced in Formula One before, multiple tests for multiple teams, and knows his way around the knows his way around the block, and. Nick DeVries, there, I thought, was, was a solid, solid drive. But Logan Sargent, he let the pressure get to him in qualifying. So there's no doubt about that. Three mistakes in Q1. Burned through three sets of tyres and didn't really even set a proper time. And then today, Piastri, he, he's had a bad start to the season. In He had the incident today and dropped to the back. He retired in the first race. And now next up is his home race. And the pressure's not going to be any lighter in your home race. Okay. You, uh, it's not very often I say this. You've, you've made some good points there, Reese. Maybe he does kind of need to, to 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 settle down a bit. Maybe then be be a little bit more cool-headed, other than not wanting to give up spaces. You know, it is only his first year in, and like you know, we know there's that that performance level that has to be met or expected of. But yeah, we'll just have to wait and see how he gets on in Australia and. See, see, see if, if anything, this has to be a learning curve for him and McLaren because they are nowhere near where they need to be either. So I think something definitely has to change. Yeah, well, I think the position of Piastri to Norris is is close enough. I mean, he's where he wants to be in relation to his teammate. I mean, from the radio calls today of, oh, yeah, don't hold up Oscar too much to Lando, that's... Yeah, it shows that he's in the right place to drive it, but the team's in a run of bad luck. He's a rookie that's going to be under pressure because of his big move or big decision to say, I'm racing for McLaren, not Alpine. I mean, that's 
that was a ballsy move by the kid. And so far, it looks like it's really backfired because the Alpine looked good today. But I mean, this this I just feel like will he be able to handle the pressure in his home race? Is he going to have a bad race next race? Because I think even in the absence of Tim and Chris and Josh, we are all especially if we were to say which team, which actual team is our favourite, we'd all say McLaren. Like we yeah. like Lewis, we like George, yeah. but we're not Mercedes fans. Like mm. we like the British drivers. I mean, I'm a Carlos Sainz fan, and when he signed for McLaren, I was delighted because that was my favourite team. And I feel because of the history of McLaren, we have such a, you know, we have such an expectation historically of them being good. <laughs> it's pretty, it's like, it's a bit like Ferrari, you know, the British with McLaren are like the Italians with Ferrari. And the bottom line is both have been pretty poor for the last 13 years. You say that, but McLaren did look like they made like, you know, a start in going the right direction. And then this season just, Nah, it's just completely ruined again. I just, I don't get how you can show so much promise. You know, I know the rule regulation changes and car, you know, all that sort of stuff, technical changes and stuff. It, it, it was big. But how can you go from being everyone hyped about you to absolute shit? I, I'm laughing because I have just realised this is what it's like to be a Ferrari fan when you like McLaren. It's oh, it's uncanny. Oh, that's rough. Oh, mate, mate, let's not make McLaren fans feel as bad as Ferrari fans do. We are McLaren fans. No, but just like all of them. Well, oh man. One thing you can say about McLaren is their car looks nice. So you know, and we tend to see a lot of it on camera. Maybe that's the strategy when you've got to do. 17 pit stops you get on tv a lot I, don't, I, I mean at the start of the year on the podcast we said about all the uh the importance of not having paint in your car so you could get the weight uh keep the weight down and all that stuff uh we were saying about mclaren their 190 gram advertising boards i mean red bull and aston martin are the two of the fastest teams and they're the ones that are fully painted so maybe these uh advertising boards aren't making too much of a difference in the first place they're there. I don't think they're going to be going. Maybe it's not as detrimental to the car as we think. Maybe the car's just generally shit, and that's the <laughs> best bit. And that and that may be the best bit on it. Who knows? Oh, don't say that. It's a really. I mean, I'm struggling with Liverpool being really bad this season. I mean, oh yeah. Oh look, you won one game. Great. It's like McLaren going. Oh look, we won one race in Australia. I was like, oh, sorry, in in Monza. Oh, that was great. When was that? Oh yeah, like four years ago. Brilliant. That's what I needed. Remember when we were good four years ago? Yeah. It, it made me laugh when the Sky F1 commentators brought up um, a statistic from Alonso about uh, being, I think it might have been like being on the front row since uh, 2012. I'm like, that's a bit of a savage statistic to be bringing up. You know, leave, leave, leave the poor guy alone. He's had some bad experiences. This That's crazy. To think that Manchester City fans didn't even exist, really, last time Alonso started on the front row. Can we not anger City fans? Because I feel like I've, you know, <laughs> I feel I feel like I've annoyed enough people. I don't need to keep a, you know, an eye out while in Manchester. It's bad, bad enough I support a rival team. <laughs> Mate, I'm going to be honest, I don't need the smoke, Reese. 
Don't worry, you live far down south. You're only going to be surrounded by Man United fans. Oh, oh mate, why is it weird <laughs> you? Seriously. Right. If we're going to make jokes, okay, let's make the joke of the fact that you beat Manchester United 7-0 and then you go and get beat 1-0 by who? Who was it next week? Bournemouth. Tell us. And Real Bournemouth. Madrid. Yeah. Mate, it's tragic. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's bad. I mean, it is. It, but the thing is, though, it's a very good comparison. It's like, oh, yeah. Hey, look, we beat my... It's like McLaren going, or Zach Brown going, oh, yeah, look, we won a race two, three years ago. Great. Zach, what have you done since then? Put I mean, they could... Advertising boards on my car. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, we beat my United. Okay, well, you lost to Bournemouth. It's like, oh, we won in Monza. Yeah, well, then you forgot you didn't force your driver to pit in in Russia, and you could have had two wins in a row. Yeah, 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 right. But it's fine because he's used up all of his pit stops for the year in the first race. So now, like, the practice is like, it's, it's got to be flawless now. How do you feel about team leader Lando? Do you feel like it's too much pressure on young shoulders to lead a Formula One team? Or do you feel like with the seasons that he's had in the car, he's in the perfect position to be able to do that? I feel if you're going to pick a driver to lead the team, it has to be the one that's been there the longest, um, purely because of how complex and um, vast these teams are with the experiences that you take in every week. Do I think it's too much for him? No. But in the same respect, do you still want to be passing on information that could help your teammate beat you? Or are you going to be selective? That would be my only not fear but that would be my only concern yeah i know i feel like i've just turned this into a therapy session for me as a mclaren fan because i can tell you now if i was lando and you were piastri i would be telling you absolutely fuck all facts (laughs) i get that i just i just don't know man it's just it feels like there's a lot that could be achieved with such a young driver lineup, but the thing is, young driver lineups seem to be the way most teams are going now. There are very few that there are very few drivers over thirty on the grid. Yeah, obviously there are a lot of drivers that are uh, obviously well below that age. But do you think that sponsors are getting on board with this younger generation of driver, knowing that they can carry their brand for the next ten years, the same as? Uh, Posted with Hamilton and uh, obviously all the other sponsors that they've had, that McLaren, that followed through to Mercedes. Uh, you know, do you think they're invested into the future now, while it's probably cheaper to sponsor a, a younger driver? But yeah, I think you're onto something. There. I mean, so like Lewis Hamilton, like you think the big brands that have been attached to a name like Lewis Hamilton, Monster Energy, Tommy Hilfiger, Bose, all these big, big brands that everyone in the world knows. If you've got the chance to piggyback on a young driver, you're thinking, yeah, here's my here's my ticket to the big time. If people see my product, I'm thinking my product first. I've been listening to Perry McCarthy's audiobook, Night Nine was the original Stig. He's a former Formula One driver for Josh's favorite team. Andrea Moda <laughs> and uh, I mean I'm currently just listening to him talking about through his he's like junior formula days but the one thing that he, he talks about 
relentlessly was, I mean, the need for sponsorship for drivers going growing up, and the exposure that the that young drivers could give teams, or sorry, young drivers could give companies, was a huge incentive for them to invest. So yeah, teams are probably, sorry, drivers probably are getting bankrolled by all these sponsors that want to come in and piggyback on them. And it does make them more appealing to teams because, you know, you've got your income coming through the sponsors rather than your own bank account. So you're still making a nice profit. I would rather sponsors than daddy's money. Um, But it is definitely like, you know, I think when you start getting into this in depth, uh, like analysis of sponsorship, into like the teams like obviously subsidizing the driver's wages and like all that sort of stuff like it's like you've got to end up down a rabbit hole somewhere where it's like how big could this get like you know the driver making absolutely nothing to them making millions of sponsorship in literally next to no time oh yeah that's it the 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 cost cap caps your expenditure it does not cap your income and at the end of the day, this is a business, and these teams would not be in Formula One if it wasn't profitable for them. I didn't know that it that that the cost cap covered that. So that's that's where. Yeah, it is. I mean, it only covers I've, your. I've learned something. <laughs> hey, hey, so yeah, it, it doesn't cost. You're not limited on your income. You can make as much money as possible. Yeah, like the the prize money from Formula One is is limited because it's it's a pretty set amount that's agreed between all the teams and you will benefit off the success of the sport but yeah if you've got a, a sponsor that's willing to pay you 50 million a season that's 50 million you're not having to fund yourself i wouldn't say that that's blown my mind but that has clicked a massive light bulb moment there with you saying that the important sponsor and yes it's probably where sponsorship is brilliant i mean let's just say sponsor if you're a comp if you own a company and you're listening to this podcast and someone says, hey, will you come sponsor me to drive my go-karts or my junior formula car around the track? Say yes, because it's right. you don't know what that explosion might do for you. You know that that driver is probably going to be grateful for the opportunities that they, they gave you throughout their career. I mean, just I mean, using Perry McCarthy, an example, he still mentions um, some of the companies that sponsored them at a young age. I won't say because they don't sponsor us. Um, you think, well, there's still exposure, and you remember all these years down the line. And if your driver makes it big, you sponsored, you never know, you might end up with hospitality at Silverstone one day. So it's probably worth, probably worth that bit of sponsorship that a driver might give to you. And also, if all drivers were sponsored and had this big ticket money coming in from all these different sponsors, you wouldn't be having the likes of Nikita Mazepin. Nicholas Latifi, Pastor Malnado, these single state funded drivers with the lack of talent coming to one, you will have the young, fast drivers. I mean, I was delighted that Logan Sargent got the drive. Actually delighted. I think he's a brilliant talent. I think he's going to be a solid driver for years and years to come. And for me, that was sponsorship doing the right thing in Formula One. You forgot a stroll because he's working on daddy's money. He is, not, but at I'm the not. same time, I'm starting to soften to Lance Stroll. It's taken a long, long time. Right, I'm coming in close to the mic for this one, right? Because I don't want it to be too too loud. 
but I'm actually starting to like the guy. Yeah, and same. And, and I feel like I have to abuse him so that I can secretly like him. So that, <laughs> so that no one realises that three seasons of podcasts have been... I've completely let the side down. That we both see... This is brilliant because there's no Tim, there's no... Although Tim quite likes Lance Stroll too. I've just doubted Tim as a Lance Stroll fan. Oh, wow. So let's face it, this podcast is all McLaren fans and likes Lance Stroll. If, if Lance Stroll signed for McLaren... I don't know. Daddy would have to buy McLaren. To, to make it work, I reckon. Yeah, after what after what after what Daddy Stroll has done to Aston Martin, I'm happily by McLaren at the moment. That's a not a very bad point, to be fair. I think in the last race where he still managed to drive with his hands pinned, um, the fact that he you know he didn't need to be in that car, but he he stuck it out. He went for his recovery. He did what he needed to get in that car, and you know hone his racecraft in and do his job because he could have sat at home for five months collecting the 10 million pound bloody wage that he collects and seeing everybody in spa instead he got better he got out and he did his absolute best in that car that's true just while we wrap up this sponsorship section of the podcast we're talking about sponsorship and the benefits of it uh, we just like to thank our own personal podcast sponsors apex tracks for everything they've done for the podcast so far um of course one of our most recent prizes we've given away the uh, the bahrain track wall art uh, was supplied by apex tracks um and if you weren't lucky enough to win that wall art you can get your own wall art at apextracks.com that's a-p-e-x-t-r-a-x-s.com congratulations charles on winning the mercedes cup and getting your details back to me nice and quick for us to send that mug over to you right away um race free australia we will be giving away a daniel ricardo drawing details of that to follow on race week so yeah prizes 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 make sure you're in the discords and the facebook and insta etc to to see when that one's coming quite excited for that one to be fair yeah it's uh, it's gonna be it's been an interesting thing we're trying to give away a prize every week Say, I think people are starting to get that more. We had more injuries this time than last time, uh, but we've got two winners, two happy winners, and uh, long may it continue. And of course, the prize of the Mercedes mug was given away for correctly predicting who would finish higher this race Russell or Hamilton. And of course, George got the number on Lewis, he qualified much, much better. He got the setup right, as, as Lewis said, there was one or two ways they could have gone on setup. Uh, and George chose right this time. and I, mean, I thought his response was brilliant when he initially thought that he was trying to stay close to Alonso five seconds because Alonso might have had a five second penalty, which he had already served. He went, OK, brilliant, and just put his foot down and just pulled out a gap from Lewis. And I thought George drove brilliant today and fully deserved his podium, even though Alonso really did deserve it too. Yeah, 100% Alonso deserved that podium. Um, but I am glad to see George up there. Um but when Lewis qualified in P7 on the hard tyres, I was thinking, you know, he's going to go a little longer. He's going to last it out. He's maybe going to keep up with the top five, you know, and we'll see what we can do. But those hard tyres turned out to be absolute dog shit, in my opinion. Not it really. Was... I mean, everyone else made it work. I think it just was awful on high fuel. <laughs> just, so it's just, it was, it was all shit, but... Oh, no, so it wasn't shit. It was just for Hamilton, it was shit. It, I think it just didn't work on high fuel. 
I understand having to split the strategy because at this point in time, you know, you've got to do something to try and compete with uh, the other teams because your car is it's just not working. But, you know, you know. I thought it was the right call on strategy to split the strategies. I thought Lewis had a very good stint on the mediums and had the hard tyre. Sw- uh, the, the thing is, it, it all really juxtaposed itself because Hamilton was able to pull away with the front guys. Like he wasn't able to be with them at the start of the race and really struggled to hold back Leclerc, hold back Ocon. This time on the, on the medium tyre, he was able to hold back from the restart and and signs too. All to do a tyre warm-up, really. Um, the hard tyre was really poor at warming up, but it was a good tyre once you got it going. But the medium tyre, it warmed up faster and it had its benefits from the start. So I, I have, either way, I'm rambling here, but yeah, I think Mercedes made the right call. I thought, George, I thought George drove very well today, but they have got a long, long way to go Mercedes still before they can be competitive again. And I really can't wait to see this concept car, which they're working on. You say until they're competitive again, but they've just got a third place podium. Okay, yeah, you know, they're not up there competing for wins, but I wouldn't say that they're not competitive yet. They're not as competitive as previous years, but I'm hoping the changes that they can make in this car can make at least something work in the future. Yeah, but if you're Mercedes with, you know, seven drivers' championships and eight constructors' championships in the last nine years you've got to you've got to have your expectations set higher than staying on a podium here and there yeah i totally agree with that statement mate and i think when toto's coming out and saying you know we've done something wrong the car is not where it needs to be or where we thought it was going to be you need to do something and it needs to be very quick well with that i'll ask you one final question to wrap it up and that is what are your thoughts on toto wolf saying lewis hamilton could look elsewhere in a year or two's time should they should they not be able to deliver a competitive car that can win him a championship i just genuinely think that he wants one more championship he wants that eighth uh realistically there's nowhere for him to go that's going to make him more competitive he can't go to red bull the thought of him and max together is very unsettling um i think he just needs the whole station where he is put the work in fix that car and Mercedes do what Mercedes do and go back to winning. Yeah, I, I agree. Mercedes, they figure it out. He's got no reason to leave Hamilton, but I just don't see where I don't see where there's actually a seat for him. Should he want to land in a race-winning car, unless Aston Martin really does switch it up and Alonso retires, I can't think of anywhere else Hamilton would go. But if you're thinking at Aston Martin as a business. Do you need to pay Lewis Hamilton £30 million to come and drive your race car when Alonso and Stroll are doing way better for much less? From a business point of view, you know, are you going to waste that money? You know, I really don't think that you're going to waste that money when you can, you know, have Alonso and Stroll for a fraction of the price and they're getting that car up there. Well, no, I only say when Alonso retires. That that's the only place. I say if Alonso retired in two years' time, Mercedes still hadn't put together a competitive car. I would not be surprised if Hamilton went to Aston Martin. But then he'll just be teammates with Alonso in two years. No, because Alonso's retired. But when he comes out of retirement again, he'll be teammates (laughs) with him again. So they might as well just be teammates now. Oh no, because that would get rid of our secret favourite driver, Lance Stroll. 
Yes, and also I don't like how they were last time they were in uh, a team together. McLaren. Yeah, but long time ago. McLaren. But it, yeah, but I still, I it still angers me to this day that pit stop. Yeah, me too. But yeah, there you have it. British McLaren and Ferrari are British. Hamilton's going to go to Aston Martin in two years' time, and we all kind of like Lance Stroll. We hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast. If you like what we do and want to hear more of us and want to get more involved in the competition and everything that we have, check out the link in the bio of the podcast. Until then, enjoy your two-week break, and we'll speak to you again after Australia. Cheerio, Cheerio guys. guys. Yes, I I tried to get that perfectly dead on with you. Love that. Right. You're so proud of yourself. (laughs) I am so proud of myself. We'll see you in a few weeks, guys. Right, so we've never had to do one of these before. Uh, but we have to add an amendment into the podcast. Uh, obviously, with the situation unfolding with Alonso late Sunday night, uh, obviously he had been dropped to fourth after it was ruled that his team had worked on the car while serving a five-second penalty. Uh, his team has successfully argued that there were previous examples of drivers not being penalised in such circumstances. Uh, and the stewards agreed and they've overturned the decision and Alonso is reinstated into third on the podium. So we'd just like to take this time to wish Alonso a massive happy congratulations on his 100th podium and may there be many more in the future for Alonso. So once again, we'd just like to say thank you for listening to the podcast and cheerio guys and we'll see you in a few weeks. (laughs) 